Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad Podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you so much for joining us again on a Sunday morning as we continue to bring you awesome dialogue as it relates to fatherhood, manhood, and brotherhood. And so my guest today is someone that I've known who probably since the beginning of my career um, <laughs> in the state of New York, um, doing yeah. work for the state of New York um, is where I first met um, Dr. Kelly and we've just been, you know, attached at the hip since then. I mean, I have this bio in front of me. I'll, I'll read the first paragraph for you, but I'm going to introduce her to you for the next 45 minutes or so. Um, Dr. Janice Kelly is a full professor, the chair of the Interdisciplinarian Studies and the program director of professional communications at Malloy University. Um, she's a guest editor for Fathering um, Theory, Research and Practice about men as fathers. She also produced a documentary called Perceptions of Fathers in the Media in Search of the Ideal Father. I still have that thing. Actually, it's on YouTube. I don't know if you know. I put it no. on YouTube. It's, it's private, but it's there because I use it every once in a while because there's some things in it that I like to use. Um, but she also co-edited Deconstructing Dads, Changing Images of Fathers in Popular Culture. Um, for as long as I've known her, she has, her and I have had awesome conversations about fathers in the media and more specifically about black fathers in the media. And for her, I didn't even write any questions down today because I know how we're going to flow. Um, and this conversation is going to be interesting for each and every one of you. How you doing, Dr. Kelly? Oh, by the way, let me take a step back. She was, and she just left us, y'all. But she didn't leave us. She left us and she just went through. She walked out one door and walked in another door. Um, but she has served as a board member of Fathers Incorporated for years and years and years. But I had this bright idea to create this other entity um, the Moynihan Institute for Research and right. Policy, and it called upon her. So she stepped out of one door and stepped in the other door. But we're going to be doing some incredible work on that side anyway. Very How you doing? How you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. So I start off all of my podcasts with this question. My um, guests mm -hmm. never know what's coming, but it's always the question that sets the tone for the rest of the show. Tell me your daddy's story. Wow. I lost my dad five years ago. And I'm going to be transparent. When he got ill, okay, I know my family was just going to hang on. He was the glue. He was the one who cooked. He was the one who did Christmas. He was the one who did... Thanksgiving, and I, I, I adore my mother, but I, I, there was something that was just so connected with him. It, it, there wasn't a Saturday, what you doing? Let's go to the farmer's market. What, what you need, what you want. Um, you know, and when he got sick, the only thing he thought of was my mom. I, I have to say, I, I, I learned about love through his eyes. 
I learned about connection and the importance of family through his eyes. And when he got sick, I just knew, I braced my two sisters and everyone was going through their own thing. But I said, you know, we gotta, we gotta figure out how to connect with the family because he was, he was the glue. Mm-hmm. And so often when people always talk about moms, moms, I just have this response to say, always, hey, it's my dad. You know, there was just something about his ever flowing love and connection um, that was just so unique to all of us. And he knew how to talk to us. He knew love language. He knew how to just say, you know, with through humor and engagement, um, how to how to just be um, present. And and he was the cheerleader. You know, anything you did, he was excited. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I have a literally a home phone right now, and I still have his voice on it. And my husband keeps saying. You know, mommy's going to, you know, get, a, get a, you know, away with all these, these home phones. And I have to say, it's his voice. I, I know that that's a personal thing, but, you know, and he's singing happy birthday to me. I, I just can't get rid of that phone. Um, but I knew about intimacy and love through their dynamics and the way that he just made sure the family was intact. I know that was a long answer. Oh, no, that was perfect. Um, I, I I truly, I, I knew it, you know, I, I can study this, but you know this, when you see it, you mm-hmm. feel it, you you know, and even sometimes my husband would say, you know, I'm not your dad, <laughs> you mm-hmm. ain't getting, <laughs> you know, and I used to say, yeah, I, I'm going to have to evaluate us, but, mm-hmm. um, but it was him who really kept us afloat and glued. Wow. Yeah. When um, LL Cool J wrote his book. Um, father, he had a song that went with it. And there's a line in his song that says, um, too long for a song, but perfect for a book. Um, and it was his narrative, you know, about his father and his, his family. So it's never too long, you know, and whereas too long in one medium is just perfect for another medium. So for a podcast, that was perfect. That's perfect. (laughs) Um, you know, it's interesting because, a um, couple of things. One is some weeks ago, maybe it's been a month now, I was interviewing Chris Bouchard and Chris Bouchard unfortunately mm-hmm. lost his dad I heard that around before. Christmas. Mm-hmm. And um, that led us into this conversation about um, care. Um, um, care. Um, men, men as caregivers. And we were just kind of talking about how we don't talk a lot about when it comes to um, fatherhood. Um, we don't talk about fathers being there for their own parents as caretakers. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as we talk about moms and women being there as caretakers for their husbands, right? We don't think that it happens the other way. And it's right. an ironic story in his case that his dad was the caretaker for his wife, right? Mm-hmm. And um, in the midst of caring for her dementia, he was diagnosed with cancer. Um, mm-hmm. Very ironic thing. But then Chris mm-hmm. and I was talking about he often thought about and caring for both of his parents, but more specifically caring about his dad. What if he didn't have a relationship with him? Like he would not have been there to care for his dad and his mm-hmm. dad would not have had anybody to care for him. And we got to start mm-hmm. elevating that conversation about yeah. fatherhood is just 
not solely about taking care of your children, but it's also thinking about creating an environment that people want to care for you when you can't care for yourself. Um, And so that just kind of struck me in that space. And then the last thing is I'm actually beginning my second book. I'm just kind of outlining and writing and trying to get Mm. my thoughts around it. But my book is going to be called Echoes of My Father. And so, and I'm going to be interviewing people for my book. And basically what I'm going to be talking about is talk to me about your relationship and the echoes of your father that hit your life like a pebble Mm -hmm. in the water in terms of waves that Mm -hmm. every once in a while, and depending on what you're doing in your life, an echo of your father would show up. So it's kind of like Mm -hmm. shouting his name out, if you can imagine, into an open cave and having his voice come back in different ways from different places, depending Mm -hmm. on your experience. And so I'm really like excited about this book because it's actually, um, Malik Yoba is actually writing his, he wrote his book about mm-hmm. his dad and he asked me to write the forward for his book. And after writing, reading his book, um, that came to my mind that that was what he was talking about. So I've already begun the thought process of mm-hmm. echoes in my mind. And so when we're talking about media, it's a perfect place to kind of talk about echoes of our fathers, right? because media is a perfect example of voices that hit us from a dad space. I don't know if you've seen this, I'm sure you and I watch TV the same way. Um, It's kind of ironic that one of our favorite dads, Carl Winslow, is now in commercials (laughs) as dad, right? You know I wrote that down. (laughs) You know, something happened right after Cosby's show in the late 80s, 90s, and even the early 2000s, whether it was Bernie Mac, George Lopez, you know, my wife and kids, the explosion that happened of representation of, of fathers um, was ju- you can feed off that, mm-hmm. right? Storytelling, um, um, father-son dialogue. Um, you know, one of the things that got me into the fatherhood was I was teaching a class in psychology. There was a young man. He was, he was probably in his early 20s. He was going to be a father for the first time. And we were just talking about parenting. And he stood up and he says, listen, I'm just scared. I'm going to be a father. And he was really talking about how he was t- using the media as representation of different techniques when he becomes a dad. So how to use humor, how to engage, you know, and I, the light bulb went off Mm -hmm. and I was just like, that's it. That's it. That how, how, you know, this was just so funny that we're talking today because I just showed um, in my class yesterday, we were just talking about the men's movement and we were talking about something called father hunger and how these young men today just you know, yearn for representation of fathers or being around men and fathers. And I showed uh, Will Smith's clip, you know, Daddy-O, and, mm-hmm. you know, and his father leaves. And, and then I, I showed um, uh, um, Caesar and, and I think it's uh, Spooky, the clip. Mm-hmm. Um, and his father goes, and Ken, the tears in my class yesterday, mm-hmm. I had to stop. And I had to have people regroup. I had to have them talk about it. 
And as soon as they saw Will Smith, someone just said, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> you know, just like, <laughs> but the point is, is that those messages resonate yeah, yeah, yeah. with so many kids. Those messages are profound in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I, I'm always the one in the, in the, in the in meeting saying, don't forget the media. And it's remarkable that people quickly forget the media. Mm. But the media is the social learning for young kids to figure out, you know, representation of masculinity, manhood, if you want to use that term. Um, what is it to be a good dad? What does it be, you know, what does it mean to be a buffoon dad? But they have representation all through their childhood. Mm-hmm. And yet it's it's never considered important to sometimes analyze what these representations are doing to our kids. Mm-hmm. You know, the interesting thing about the Will Smith um, clip is I've evolved a little bit with respect mm-hmm. to the Will Smith clip in this way. That daddy clip becomes even more potent if you show the first clip. Mm-hmm. Like, we often start with the second clip. Yeah. We don't start with the first one. And the first one is when they came back from the fair. And Will Smith jumped at him and started talking about how he wasn't going to be around. Mm-hmm. But there's a contrasting uh, reaction or contrasting outcome in both of those scenes because Will ends the first scene and yelling at Uncle Phil and saying, you're not my father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the second scene, he ends up in his arms. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so you got to that first clip puts it all in context, particularly when you're working with fathers. Um, And I have a lot of conversations with stepfathers in this sense. And that is never try to be so much of a man that you want to replace the footprint of the biological father. Mm -hmm. Because if you do, there'll be a day that your stepchild will remind you those are not your footprints. Get in your own footprints. Um, my God, you gotta read his book. Mm-hmm. Man, his book crystallizes that episode in terms mm-hmm. of reflective of who his father, his real father, mm-hmm. was in his life and how he struggled with his father all the way through it was i got it on audible and you know will will smith reads his own book um and so he used he reads it he's he's it's almost like he's performing his life literally it's like he's performing his life but as he talks about his father it's like whoa you know what tv will smith is not the same person as real life Will Smith and he had a TV dad a TV uncle dad that was really reflective in his life but he had a real dad that was the engine to what made him everything he is right in all of his dysfunction and I think that that's why it's so um important for us to monitor TV, but I want to take you back a little bit because I don't want to get to Will and then come up 
I want to yeah. go back, right? And then, because we, you and I, we like, I like going all the way back, right? Because I think <laughs> context as it relates to fathers in the media is important to go back, particularly when you look at societal narrative and societal narrative that really paints this picture that fathers aren't adequate enough to care for children. And the fact that art often imitates, or media often imitates life, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you go back to the early days of television, it's very interesting because the most popular shows back in the 60s were shows of single dads. Mm-hmm. Gunsmoke, Bonanza, Rifleman, um, Petticoat Junction, Beverly yeah. Hillbillies, um, uh, and, and there's a few others. So when you go back that far and you look at how society looked at fathers back then as cap, now I want to throw this nuance in there because I always have to throw that nuance in it. The only reason that mom was not in the picture of all of those shows is because she was dead. Right. <laughs> and right. so right. the message is, she's not here because she don't want to be here. She right. here because she ain't here because she ain't got to, she can't be here. So that was right. a that was a subtle message in all of that. But be that as it may, people mm-hmm. were fascinated and okay with the notion that dads could take care of their children. Absolutely. So yeah. when you go back and you look at what you see now to what we were looking back in the yesteryear of television, how are you making those connections and what do those connections look like? Well, and I agree with you, you know, not just the Westerns killed off moms, but, but Disney killed off moms, you know, all those, mm-hmm. if you look at the, the, the animated Disney shows, unless you're the evil stepmother, there was no bio, biological mother, right? So they, she was quickly removed. She died. And part of that had to do with because Walt, Walt Disney himself, his mother died in childbirth. So he just had this thing that he did not want to see mothers in, in, in early shows, right? So, so that's how they were removed. This was his subconscious mind on film, removing mm-hmm. mothers. Mm-hmm. And so that was his stuff. But you're, you're right. What is the dis, what's, the, what's the disconnect between particularly Western shows where the father was in charge and the father was a single father, and then you get this, here comes the, the, the difference. You got into this middle-class consciousness. Mm. It, it's, it's as simple as that. Middle-class creation of the American dream, I think, diffused any creativity of different types of family life. Mm. So you had to have the mother and the father, the two, dog, the two children and a dog with a you know, named Spot. And that American dream that was being sold through advertising, through TV, really prevented us from having creativity in different ways of looking at the American family. Mm. We were allowed to be diverse in Westerns, in Disney, if you want to say that. But you're right. If you look at all the family shows, family shows, whether they're animated or they're just TV shows, all have this uh, this middle class framework and that to me is problematic Mm. has been problematic right and then you get to the 70s because now i want to kind of shift in what people of color look like in that whole narrative because unfortunately there weren't any 
I think the most uh, present black show um, from that era, which is the 60s and maybe the early 70s, might have been, um, uh, what's the nurse's name? Single mom. Julia. 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 Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. was the first depiction of an African-American being playing a lead in a sitcom. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you take away I Spy, by because a lot of people kind of lean on I Spy as co right. leads in there, mm-hmm. but you know, let's kick that to the curb. Let's get to um, <laughs> get to Julia. Yeah. Um, and then there was this gap, right? There's this gap yeah. between her and the next influence of African Americans being seen on TV, and it's kind of right. interesting because we come right back to your point with these low-income families, right? Yeah. More specifically, Sanford and Son, right? Right. Who's an entrepreneur, wife is dead mm-hmm. again, right? Son yeah. still lives in the house, low-income mm-hmm. Watts, L.A. Yeah. James Evans, poor-income yeah. projects in yeah. Chicago, um, intact family, and mm-hmm. the Jeffersons on his way right. up in New York right. City, entrepreneurship and so why do you think at that point we were able to kind of look somewhat at a contrasting looking black father and people resonate with all three of them but i think during that time here comes the civil rights era right Mm. and so now you're having a challenge of how and i think we were starting to have a watchdog movement of how we were being portrayed right um this is where you had more creativity, you had more people taking chances on at least, you know, storytelling about our lives, you know, that you can say that's a true portrayal. Um, but you, you now had Hollywood take notice of giving us more diversity um, on how we were being portrayed and, 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 and wanting our viewership. Everything is about a commodity. I hate to say it, but everything's about getting something. Mm-hmm. And they were losing us as viewers. Mm-hmm. They never considered us. So now they consider us. How do you consider us? Now we have to do stories about our lives. But the problem is, and you know this about Hollywood, who's writing the stories about our lives, right? right. Um, you know that there was a lot. James Evans, I'm James Evans, I'm calling him James Evans, talked to you about, about fights about you know the betrayal of JJ and the family. Um, you know, how they wanted to um, position the, uh, the family in good times uh, and how they had to fight to be to have a, a, a married couple and that the mother wasn't going to be Flor- Flor- Florida, wasn't going to be a single mother. I mean, all of this is, you know, who is at the table creating stories about us, mm-hmm. right? And if you think about it, whether it was San Francisco and Good Times, all of those, probably three or four shows, all of a sudden you have a dry, dry spell, and then here comes Cosby. Right, right. And, and, and so you really have this shifting of not us writing those stories, not yet, but the narrative of who gets to talk, talk about our family life, right? Who gets to have a say of how we are portrayed? Um, you know, issues of connectiveness, touching, loving, storytelling, all of that. Who gets to write those stories? And during the '60s and '70s, and a little bit of the '80s, it, it was it was not us telling those stories about our lives. Mm-hmm. I grew up, and then one of the things I want to talk about, 
I grew up with progressive black fathers. Now, how do I define that? I had fathers who or friends whose fathers either worked eight to four and the mothers worked from four to midnight. So the fathers had to cook, they had to do hair, they had to do homework, they had to do all the other things. All of this was not new to me, right? The fathers pitched in, they did the shopping, they did the laundry, they were, this is, now we use this word progressive dad, right? In advertising, we call this thing dadvertising because now fathers are doing laundry, fathers are doing hair, fathers are shopping, you know, or, or cooking. Uh, and I'm just speaking on my experience, but in the black community, that was the norm. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it, but this was missing from television. Now, because they've discovered a two-fat household, now it's progressive dads, mm -hmm. right? So there's a real disconnect between our lives and how it then is portrayed on television. Mm -hmm. And um, again, you know, it becomes this very clear middle-class family life. Um, and, and I think that, you know, you and I talked about this. I loved Bernie Mac's show. I love all those shows, but it was always also about wealth. Right. And it wasn't about, you know, us having, um, like Family Matters, a working class family, just functioning, loving, and engaging. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have all this obscene wealth. And I think sometimes that was the turnoff in the late 90s, early 2000s about some of these shows. Um, yes, we know that you're a comedian. Yes, we know you're wealthy, you're a doctor, but can we have some middle, middle class, working class family shows um, that are displayed? And I am concerned, I don't see any today. Mm. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a clear drought of variations of class that's on TV. So I, I think that Hollywood has allowed this middle-class model to be kept, become the standard of many of our shows, and I, I think that that's a disservice for many of us. Yeah, we know the interesting thing about today, and I want to get today, get to today too fast, because, but I do want to say this so I don't forget it so we come back to it, um, and that is if you look at black, the portrayal of black families on TV today, it mm -hmm. is mostly wrapped around either gang life or drug life. Yeah. Okay. Right. And so it's gang life and it's family mm -hmm. life embedded in the conversation around yeah. drugs. And if you think, you know, loosely, you could say empire. Right. Yeah. Or music yeah. or music. Right. And so you mm -hmm. could say empire. You could say power. You could say BMF. Say you could say yeah. all yeah. those. Yeah. You could yeah. say um, snowfall, the shy. Yeah. Um, yeah. All of these shows are kind of wrapped around this urban life that centers in the either the gang life, drug life, or mm -hmm. music life, and then they tell yeah. a family narrative um, in the mix of that. And then when they do have characters that are somewhat uh, closer to us, it is wrapped in the either the only black family on in the neighborhood with wealth, mm -hmm. right? I.e., yeah. this yeah. is us. Right, this is mm -hmm. us. Is mm -hmm. you know where um, the compromise is? We can't have a whole show of a whole bunch of right. black people in the neighborhood, right. but we can right. lean lean in on the Critical. one black family. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and that's where I think television is sliding back to. I think we're sliding mm -hmm. back to one black or two, and that's it. 
you know, because mm-hmm. we still got to cater to this other audience um, that we still believe most of our money is coming from. Mm-hmm. I want to lean mm-hmm. in and ask a little bit about, because I know you and I often talk about TV and we don't talk a lot about uh, movies, theater, particular cinema, because one of the things that with respect to Bill Cosby that happened, I remember when Bill Cosby came on, it was almost like we had never seen black people on TV before, right? And then black people start getting into arguments where I don't understand, I can't relate to a, a mom who's a lawyer and a dad who's a yeah, doctor. Yeah. That don't make no yeah. sense. Major right? arguments, yeah. <laughs> don't make no Major sense. Major arguments. But remember, right. Right. Bill Cosby was reinventing himself at that point because we only knew him as let's do it again, Uptown Saturday night and piece yeah. of the action. Right. Right. That was Bill Cosby from a right. whole other different space. And mm-hmm. then he leans in on his Ph.D. and then they create this show. Genius. Right. That he did it. Yeah. Because so much rolled off of that, including um, um, different worlds. That kind well, of stuff, right. and he went and did his thing, and so. But when you start looking at the post kind of Cosby stuff, um, the next one that I look at that was somewhere in and around that was New York Undercover, right? Because here oh, comes yeah. J.C. Williams, right? Mm. And J.C. Williams is in New York with Cosby at the same time. Mm-hmm. Cosby is in mm-hmm. Cosby is in Park Slope. J.C. Williams is on the Lower East Side. They, they're in the same yeah. city together, right? And not only, top, not only that, but J.C. Williams is also a cop, right? Yeah. And he's a father of a of a he's a father of a son, and they're not together right. anymore. Right. And so you're lacing right. those things together. And it was interesting because I said to him uh, when I interviewed him not too long ago, and he resisted. He pushed back when I said this, and I said the thing I remember about New York undercover for me watching it growing up in the city was that it was the music that was more a draw for me than it was him being a father. Like remember Mm. New York undercover was the hip hop. You watched it to see who was coming on. Like he got, and, and he said, and he said, that's not true. He said from his vantage point, um, he was always pressed about the fact that people came to him and said that they loved seeing a depiction of a father um, that was taking care of his son, taking care of his kid. And I'm like, you know, it must just be personal perspective. But when you think about it, what did resonate with it you? It was the music. It was the fashion and the music. Right. It was it was it was the breakout of the hip hop culture. It was like you said, who was going to be the the, the guest? Um, talent on that show, um, all of that was new. Mm-hmm. We, we, you know, I mean, I mean, you were drawn to the, to not just the talent, but the, yes, you know, um, that was going to be on that show. Um, I, I talked to other people who loved that show and it was all about fashion and music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think, I think the draw was, was, the father and the son and that and the beauty of the, the dialogue for maybe two or three minutes but then it shifted to clubs and and you know music coming out of the streets and so music was always part part of that show i just think it's 45 percent 
of it was music. I, I just think it was the draw because it was so new to have your own music, uh, and, and the tapestry of your music as part of that show. Mm-hmm. It, it was just, it was, you know, um, avant-garde in that, in that, in that respect. But um, I think it had tender moments. But don't forget, it was it was also a cop show, right. and so it was it was it was the chase and everything mm-hmm. else that was happening. Mm-hmm. But I I would say it was fashion. It was music. Right. You know, and then you know, there was this moment where um, the Cosby Show began began to get drowned by Martin in Living Color. Right. And so comedy became the thing mm-hmm. for black people. And mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily with a theme around family. I don't think it right. was until Bernie Mac came, uh, actually right. until um, the Kings of Comedy, because that's really oh, yeah. what uh, projected mm-hmm. black men back into television. Right. Steve yeah. Harvey, yeah. Cedric the Entertainer. Yeah, and yeah. um and whom I forget Steve Harvey said again and Bernie Mac right and DL right. Hughley because he had his own show. he was right. the outlier exactly. right? right DL Hughley right. was the outlier because his show actually right. was about family but he wasn't mm-hmm. the most popular of the four of them which is why yeah, I don't think that lifted as much as mm-hmm. as um Steve Harvey Cedric the Entertainer whose shows were their show was actually coupled together um mm-hmm. but Bernie Max whose shows was but it was about him as a as a comedian and you know and 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 during that during that time that comedians were beginning to move um through television the so enters tyler perry Mm -hmm. right comes in through the play genre Mm -hmm. began to slowly infiltrate how particularly black women were watching um, television. So if you look at all of his shows again, now we can kind of jump forward, but if he commands BET. Oh yeah, right? that's his channel. That's <laughs> it's his going- channel. <laughs> that's his channel. Ain't nobody else's channel, that's his channel. Right, and I so don't. when you look at all of his shows, he is clearly catering to an audience. Mm-hmm that sees black men a particular way, whether it is as an abuser. Um, he's, yeah. he's, he's, he's shifting a little bit, but I cringe when I watch anything that he does that has men in it, yeah. outside of yeah. Daddy's Little Girls, which was mm-hmm. awesome, incredible. Oh, that was awesome, yeah, I, I, I kudos to that. Um, even just, you know, House of Pain, um, you know, I, I I try not to take on someone else's argument, but Spike Lee is a, is a little right of of calling him out on what's what what's your portrayal, what's your message, right? What what what's your responsibility in this arena that you keep propagating a certain message and um, and very problematic, um, you know. A question about black love. If there is such thing in, in any of the shows about black love, there always has to be tension between us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not very rare do you see ha- harmony in some of his shows. A House of Pain is different, um, but there's there's really a lot of tension and dysfunctionality. But I think it goes back to like what you were talking about, Will Smith. 
this is Tyler Pe- Perry's story mm, yes. of his experience. And I think he borrows, no, no different from Walt Disney or Will Smith and others, from their experiences of how they feel about telling stories about family life, whether it's dysfunctionality, whether there's issues about um, um, transgressions with, 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 the, with the married couple, whatever the case may be, he is displaying his experience. The problem, though, is the viewers are watching that. And we have enough problematic family life scenarios, meaning reality TV, right? And this just adds to it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing being able to be pulled out to give a different narrative of what, what our lives are about. And here's the thing, Ken. If you did do something that was a little bit more Cosby-ish, people will say, yeah, that's whack. And then, you know, because we're so now used to tension and and um, and and challenges in our relationships that just having a mild mannered relationship may not be entertaining anymore. Mm-hmm. So then, why did Blackish make his way through? Yeah, I think at that time, Blackish came in because I think many of us were thirsty for the sequel 2.0 Cosby show. Mm. And I think you had also different personalities. You had, um, and that's a good question because I think that that a lot of it had to do with a network television with that kind of dynamic taking off from the Cosby's. They were able to pull it. They were able to pull that interesting. And, you know, some of their dialogue were, were very strong about Racism, discrimination, uh, uh, colorism. I mean, they had some really um, um, clear and strong dialogue that was happening within the family. Uh, It was not just protected because they were wealthy. Uh, But I think that they were able to, to, here it comes, they were able to grab white audience. Mm. Mm. Which is not the case for Tyler Perry's shows. (laughs) And so that allowed them (laughs) but that allowed them but that allowed them longevity over the six seven eight years that they were on channel seven they were able to do you know here comes that formula they were able to be um, transparent enough to show correlations between their lives and lives of others uh, who were white and so you had white viewership Mm -hmm. that's the crossover appeal wow that is, and that is not the case for, like you said, for Chai and others that may not be watching the shows. Mm-hmm. So you're doing some it's research now. You're doing some mm-hmm. research. Tell me what you're finding. Tell me about the research, and then tell me what you're finding in your research. So, you know, they have this thing called advertising, and it's really targeting millennium fathers um, between you know 35 and 38. And it's looking at how do they still see us? What's our evolution? How have we evolved, right? Um, and did we evolve? You know, are we second, second characters, meaning we're just standing in the background and smiling? Um, do we really have a, a, a visible um, um, focus on who we are in our presence as, as dads? Mm-hmm. And I took my interest of doing this research from the Burnt Bee um, Christmas ad. Remember in 20, I think it was 2020. 
and it, it was this print ad um, and they had all these families in this print ad and the African American family, or it was a mother with two daughters and the father was missing. Mm. And Burnaby um, had to apologize because people were, were upset. Where, where's the father? Why, why, is, why, why is the father absent? You know, and again, this is where I think we need to have people who in focus groups or um, watchdogs about how we are presented um, because they saw nothing wrong. Right. Um, and so they, they, they apologized. But then I started thinking, what is our representation in advertising? How did they see us? Um, you know, we are beyond the, especially as black fathers and black men, you know, we're not the old spice commercial anymore, mm-hmm. you know, looking brawny and beefed and, you know, like we got it all together. Um, and how do they see us as fathers? Um, and so I wanted to look at fathers between the years of, uh, 2016 to 2021, just five year span, and start to look at representation of dads. Now, I have to say we we have evolved. Um, you know, you have the Tide commercials that really um, focus on dads now doing laundry, being with their children. You have um, it's Tide, it's men uh, men in care from Dove, um, talking about you know grooming and and you know. Um, uh, family dynamics. You show him the father, you know, talking to the daughter about skincare and all this. Um, then you have another one. I'm trying the Oreos with the uh, rapper Wiz. Mm-hmm. You know, he's with his son, and they, you know, opening up the the, the, uh, the cookies, mm-hmm. and 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 it's wonderful um, to see more and more of these commercials. But according to the research, and I looked at, um, I had a study done with the um, what is it called? The Gentle Warriors Academy and Moynihan Fellows helped me with doing the research, and and I wanted to get their buy-in. You know, have we evolved, and how have we evolved? And one of the things that came out clearly is the itch, issue of respect, mm. respect of how they are being presented, um, and they clearly said that there is again this middle-class image of men. Right, that you have to have a house, mm-hmm. um, that you had to have, you know, that if if you see a father, he's either outside, and the backdrop is the fa- the house, or he's inside in this large space of a house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking about that, and you you like this this point I'm making. Um, remember, um, fatherhood.gov had the father who was the cheerleader yes. with his mm-hmm. daughter. Mm-hmm. And you remember how the camera pulls back and then you see the father downstairs in this apartment complex. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, that's missing. We don't show different variations of fathers in different spaces. Right. Where's the working class father? Where's the father in an apartment? Right. I mean, and, and part of the research that came out was there's no diversity of working class fathers um, that we want to see. Fathers can can be loving, warm, and 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 connective to their ch- to their children, but we also want to see us in different spaces. Mm-hmm. Again, that to me was very interesting because mm-hmm. it's always this middle class household consciousness that we keep seeing. Mm-hmm. Is it a clean image? Is that what it is? Is that the image that people believe is away from controversy? 
I thought, and this is just my analysis on this, I use, um, I think that this, again, is connected to men as breadwinners, mm. right? So if you're a breadwinner, this is, this, is, this is your status, right? It's the house, it's the car, it's space, it's a lawn, it's, you know, da 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 and, and so how do you measure a breadwinner? Objects. So, I, I mean, it could be clean, but I, I, I would question that. I would think that it goes back to uh, a measuring stick of breadwinner. Mm-hmm. And that breadwinner is the American dream, which is owning a house. Wow. And, and I think that that is a very limited definition mm-hmm. of being a breadwinner and, and, and the issue of status. Come to live in New York and, and tell me how, if you can uh, you know, run an apartment in New York City, how much that's going to cost you. But it's, it's really, I think, the issue again that men or fathers, fathers are correlated to the measurement of what it means to be a breadwinner. Yeah, you know, and I think the other thing too, so right before the year, right before the year was out, um, I had this idea that I was going to create an all-time list of TV dads. And so I literally, I probably spent about three days, I combed everything. I, <laughs> I found every IDDM page, every list wow. I could find, TV guys. I just, I scraped the world trying to make mm. sure. And then I sent the list out to a few people. Never sent it to you, um, but sent <laughs> it out. But anyway, I'm going to send it to you at some point. And so I think it's done now, except for maybe new dads that are popping up. But anyway, I came mm. up with 52 black dads, that there have been 52 mm. black dads um, mm-hmm. in the span of TV. And as you were kind of talking about, you know, this middle class thing, I'm actually sitting here and I'm looking at some of the names that we don't often talk about that were black dads mm-hmm. in TV. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, Avery Brooks, Brooks mm. in Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine, right? yeah. We don't, yeah. We, don't, we don't mention him a lot um, when it comes to that. Flex Washington in One and One on One. Um, yes. Lester Jenkins in 227. Um, yes. And I'm looking at uh, Joe mm-hmm. Morton in um, Scandal, right? And so yeah. when you start yeah. looking in that spaces, you start, when you look at those spaces, you start seeing something a little different. Obviously, John Witherspoon and the Wayans brothers, right? Um, oh, yeah. And, uh, and um, Ken Free, who was um, in Keenan and Keenan and Kale. Um, which yeah. was um, uh, the young comedians. And then we kind of miss when we talk about blackers, we often look at Anthony Anderson, but we forget Lawrence Fishburne, like yeah. Who's, yeah. Who's, who's playing a daddy role in that, in mm-hmm. that space as well. Um, yeah. And then the other ones are like Queen Sugar, um, uh, Dasso Raven, remember Dasso Victor, and remember yes. Rondo said, and Dasso Raven. Um, Sherman Hemsley and Amen and Sherman Hemsley's was yes. was in the Jeffersons. Um, the yeah. Last OG Empire, and then you know I always raised Terry Crews and um, everybody hates Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, Tommy Davidson in Proud Family, um, Tony Rock in All of Us, um, William Young in Moesha, and so there's been these like other kind, and then Richard Roundtree in Being Mary Jane. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when you look, I got to send you this really interesting list when you kind of look at yeah. it. But in addition to doing the all black list, 
I did an all other list, which was everybody else. Just really combing, trying to look through television. And it's interesting yeah. because you would think that there was a there would be a big disparity between the number of black dads that have been on TV and the number of everybody else. But I got 52 black dads, and in terms of everybody else, only 65. So wow. if you think about the depiction of black dads on TV, we have a large share of the market yeah. um, out yeah. there with respect to, and then because in the other, I got Latinos and I got other people in the other. So mm -hmm. if I take them out, we might even become more even with respect to the number of black dads that have been on television from day one all the way here. I'm going to send you this list because I'm sure you're going to look yeah, at that's it. And look yeah. at, you know, and see something mm -hmm. phenomenal. That's in, interesting. Right? And, yeah. the other, yeah. and the other cool thing about it is I specifically in the black dads left out reality shows. So I didn't, if I add reality shows, the number then supersede. Yeah. Because now yeah. we're talking about Run's House, we're yeah. talking about yeah. Snoop's whatever, yeah. talking about mm -hmm. um, uh, T.I. And, and Tiny and we, all yeah. these other yeah. folks that have done these reality shows that then evens out that number. When you're looking at right. television today, with respect to images, specifically of black dads, is there anything that disturbs you in terms of the narrative? You know, I'm doing this comparison between, like you said, you know, with the Bernie Max and, and, and the narrative today. <laughs> um, and I'm glad you took out reality show because that to me is a different beast altogether of what we're watching. Mm -hmm. um, and part of that is scripted. But I think what I'm looking at um, still is that fathers are, and I'm trying to think of a show. Oh, The Neighborhood. Okay. Yep. With Cedric. Mm -hmm. I, I, I still find that we have to be the cool dad. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's so interesting how he brings the, and I know he's a comedian, so he brings the humor, he brings all that. But mom always seems to, like, like Claire Huxtable, she brings the, the rules and the regulations, mm -hmm. right? She brings the discipline in. Mm -hmm. and, and we could just say that's just black culture altogether. But I still find that fathers have to be cool, right? Fathers have to have that, that cachet. Um, and so it doesn't bother me, but I sometimes like to see fathers who can have, you know, like there was a moment where in the neighborhood where Cedric's oldest son gets this job and, and it's, it's a, a sports job, sports management, and you just see him holding back his tears. And sometimes I think we need to see us emotional. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to see that, you know, we make those connections and that we hug and that we kiss. And I know we've come a long way from that. Um, that we do see it more and more, more in films sometimes than, than in um, television or cable. But, but it's important for us to see more of fathers have connections with their sons and with their daughters mm -hmm. uh, in terms of real-time conversation, yeah. right? Not that I'm just proud of you and I give you a hug and then mm -hmm. we just go our separate ways, but, but what are you proud of me for, mm -hmm. right? 
I mean, what is it? Is it character? Is it my, my tenacity, my work? Have that dialogue. Right. And it's just quick, and then it's over. And then, you know, you're saying to yourself, okay, I'm glad you're proud, but proud about, again, what? And have those, those conversations. I, I like to see more conversations about, and this is what came out of the, the study as well, have conversations about fear and what it means to be a father. You know, or fear of what it means to, you know, your, your, your kid is moving, you know, moving on and then, you know, you're going to be an empty nester. Have variations of milestones of family life that fathers talk about things um, that's meaningful to them. Um, there, was, there were moments in, in Blackish that I thought that um, Anthony had real conversations with his father about, no, you weren't there or, you know, no, no, mom did this or, you know, and so there was, you know, moments where they could have made more connection. Um, have those conversations because I think that's also healthy for us to see it mm-hmm. and instead of guessing it. And sometimes we have to guess what they're doing or how they're feeling. And, and I don't know, I don't know all the time if that's healthy for us um, to, to not see it or hear it. Yeah. There is one emotion that I see that tends to get suppressed. And I understand why, but to your point about allowing men to be fully expressive within reason, right? So I don't want them to go overboard. But the emotion that I often see suppressed with respect to men and more specifically black men is anger. Hmm. Like you don't get to see black men being angry, right? Hmm. Whether that is yelling at his kid, Mm -hmm. being in a heated argument with his significant other, Mm -hmm. road rage, you know, responding to being Mm -hmm. pulled over, um, being, encountering racism. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. you see those scenes with black men, like, they always have to harness anger. Like they cannot, and 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 that's you know, and and you know, and black women don't have to harness that emotion. Mm -mm. They can let that emotion go, and I understand it. I get it. It's like I know the messaging that it could get, Mm -hmm. but it also makes me feel sometimes like I don't have permission to be angry. Mm -mm. Right. And I also think that we have this false narrative in our, you know, that we allowed again, this culture to tell us who gets to express certain emotions and who doesn't, why? right? And that, you know, the, the, the reason why, and I think John, John Sunkleton did a great job in Boys in the Hood when Kubert um, Gooding sees his friend gunned down and, he, and the camera is on him breaking down crying. Mm-hmm. And the reason why you see that for so long is because we don't get to see that. Why? You know, that whole, that, that, you know, just devastation and fear and anger and intensity as he's, you know, just witnessed something. And you're right, we, we do not let young men or men in general have that space to show um, anger or, or, or rage. Why? Right. Right. Or, or even, even you know, and the other one too is grief, right? Yeah. You, yeah. you could be like, when you just said that, it reminded me that just this weekend I was watching Rocky Three, my favorite Rocky. Mm-hmm. And when um, 
uh, what's the coach's his trainer's name in that movie? When he dies and he comes back mm-hmm. in, um, and Rocky is over him and he just lets out in this loud cry, just like, just I mean, like a loud cry. I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, I don't ever remember feeling like he was less of a man for expressing that level of grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's the new, that's the new terrain in Hollywood, allowing boys to see other men or young men cry. Right. To express emotions, um, not to bottle it up. You know, we have, and you're right, if you look through any of Hollywood films, um, particularly military films, Western films, you know, men could never show those emotions. They had to bottle it up. But then here comes depression, here comes rage, here comes <laughs> suicidal tendencies, all of that, because we have not allowed them to have that space to, 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 to cry. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a, I forgot the rapper who said, I never see a man cry until I see a man die. Right. And it was almost as if to say the only time men can show emotions at that time was at, at a funeral. Right. And then they had to bottle that stuff back up. Um, this is this is where we need to have new display of what it is to be a man, a masculinity, and especially in, in our community, to be able to say, um, you know, to show emotions, tenderness, as well as fear and rage and anger, the, the, the full gamut of an emotional experience. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I think that it's missing. Yeah, one of the areas that I think you know, and I know you're going to open up at some point and pull these genres in, you know, because they are part of media. Um, one is social media, and that is what do okay. masculinity and manhood and fatherhood look like, particularly for black fathers in social media, right? Okay. And then mm-hmm. the second one is in music, particularly in hip-hop music, and how... Um, how mm. um, masculinity shows up in hip-hop music what does it look like i was just going through somebody was brought up to me the other day and i use these all the time and someone brought up um the message you know it's like a jungle sometimes oh yeah wonder yeah 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 Mm -hmm. and i said yeah that's a great one but that's not when men started talking about their mental health i mean it started long before then particularly in the Mm -hmm. blues right but if we want to go pop culture, um, Marvin Gaye said, throw up both my hands. Oh. Um, yeah. Make me want to holler, throw up both my mm-hmm. hands, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have always expressed um, you know, our emotions in music because it's the safest place to um, express that. Jay-Z yeah. um, also said, talked about um, not having his dad, but being able to talk about it in a song. Right, that he couldn't yeah. sit, talk out it, talk about it out loud, but could certainly could put it in a verse. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Flo Rida talks about crying. Um, you know, Eminem. It's embedded. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, it's embedded. Uh, uh, Tupac, you know, talked about yeah. um, you know hating himself, you know, and mm-hmm. hating being black, um, mm-hmm. and 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 not liking his dad. So you know, these younger you know rappers are being able to. Um, express themselves in music, you know, and the other person in here is Kirk Franklin. Like in all of or most of Kirk Franklin's early music 
in one of his one of his songs on all of his albums addressed his father, his mother sometimes because he had an equal issue with both his mm-hmm. mom and his dad. But he always found a way to bring his pain into his songs about his mm-hmm. father. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually had a chance to ask him about that when I interviewed him one time. And he looked at me and he's like, what? And I said, yeah, I was like, you address your father in every album you've had. And the reason I know that is because my wife plays your music at nauseum, so I get to listen to it. And I know what you're talking about. And so it's just really critical. I think that the work that you're doing is critical. Um, I I need to find a way, and that's what the Moynihan Institute is about, um, doing more of these and finding out a way to amplify your work in pop culture and society, you know, because I know professors, you guys got to do your do the stuff to keep yeah. the doctors, the, the, the periodicals and the publications and all that stuff. Oh, but we gotta be we gotta be able to turn that research stuff yeah. into narrative so that people could actually put their hands around it and understand yeah. what it looks like. So this um, podcast, I do I do agree with you. I, I, my last point is I think we also need to be watchdogs again mm-hmm. um, and call out things that we that. You know, no, it's not going. This this is unacceptable. Um, it, you know, because I think advertisers today are listening because they realize that we are watching, whether it's on social media or TV or wherever. That you know, if you don't have us in in a good light, we get to call it, wow. right? We get to. That's that's the way that we can bring um, attention to boycott or to question. You know, what is this company doing? I, I think this is where your work is so important to call out so there's never going to be another burnt bee and they just, you know, have a picture of a mother with two kids and, and you not calling them or writing something up with your name on it and saying as your, your role that this is unacceptable to have in a newspaper. Wow. Um, we, we need to be watchdogs and, and, and really call out um, because I think that's the social justice as well. You know, we have a different definition sometimes when we talk about social justice, but someone who studied fatherhood, this is social justice. We get to create the image we want and the diversity that we experience, um, and particularly many men, about how they want to be represented. Speaking of imagery um, and controversy, what have you thought about the Vogue cover with Rihanna and ASAP? And the kid. Yeah, I'm trying to find what I, I did. I don't understand the argument. What was the, what's the what's so the, the issue with the cover? So the argument is that she's in the forefront, and mm. he's behind her. But the baby. And he's and he's hold, she's holding his hand as if she's leading him mm-hmm. in a way that is less than masculine, right? And I'm going to tell you, I had a reaction to it when I saw it. I was like, mm. okay. I'm like, you know, uh, this stuff is like, but I have a reaction to many things. But So nothing mm. passes my eye. I get yeah. it, though. I get it. I get she's the, she's the cover story. Right. Um, I just would have respected the cover more if he wasn't on it. You know, I, I, I have to say, I, I've always had a, I, I'm using absolutes. 
I've had an issue with Vogue since LeBron James and Faith Hill. <laughs> yes, yes. And, you know, <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so there's some history with Vogue. And I know that maybe they're trying to be, um, create some tension. But you're right. Why can't we be a unit? Why can't we be a couple with the child um, nestled between the two and show unison? I, I just see this is the thing that I don't know if they really understand what they are doing. And here comes, and, and I agree with you, you know, you're going to get people say, well, you know, uh, here comes this, this feminist, um, you know, um, icon um, who's pulling her husband and, um, and the child and, and being the leader in the family instead of saying, you know, why couldn't they just be a unit? And that's, that's just always problematic of whose vision takes over in that in that visual space. Um, I, I, you know, at first I said, okay, it, the story is about her, so I could see that, but I can also see, again, where Vogue is doing it again, of not understanding Black culture, wow. and how they can also create a space where it's more loving, and it has a unit, and not the separatist of space. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Now I get it. Thank you. You educated me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, so, I, I'm giving up with Vogue. Yeah. Listen, tell people how they can get in touch with you, how they can see your research, where they can get your books from, all that good stuff. So uh, I, I, you know, I'm interesting. I'm writing a. Um, I'm in the process of of really putting some words down and get and start working on a book. You've encouraged me. So um, if you go to Lexington Book, you can get the uh, Deconstructing Dads. Um, but I am going to do a follow-up because, believe it or not, Lexington has, I think I told you this, contacted me and said, can you do a second book? Hmm. And I just have to really sit down and, and really map that out um, and figure out when we can really do that and do it well. right? And I'm okay. really looking at this summer to start doing that. Um, but I'm at Malloy University. Please, please, please contact me. Um, I'm always open to collaboration. Uh, I think we need to start a watchdog on sometimes some of these images that we see. <laughs> I, I agree with you, Ken. Uh, we have to talk about um, the hip-hop culture and, and some of the images that we're seeing in terms of parenting in some of these shows, uh, particularly re reality shows. And because here comes again, a generation looking and maybe modeling what they see. And that's where we can do some wonderful research as well. Absolutely. Because there's two things, two, two, two storylines. And again, yeah, talk to me because, you know, I have I'm, all my thoughts in my head. And so whatever I can write, whatever I can conceptualize with you, yeah. let me know. But there are two things. Um, one is um, how do we begin to teach or at least lead our children in understanding how to extract um, messages of masculinity in a positive way, no matter what it looks like. And so here's what I mean by this. So, and I always show this slide when I talk about great dads. And so usually I'll show this slide and on this slide will be James Evans, Ray Romano, mm -hmm. and all these kind of great people would be on these on this slide and then i'll say well what about these dads and then i'll flip the page and 
on this slide is um, Don Coleone, Lucius Lyons, mm. Ghost, um, mm. um, um, what's his name from Family Guy, Homer Simpson, Darth Vader, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Tony Soprano, and these folks. Mm -hmm. And I said, so what about these guys? I was like, so what is, what's the messaging about these guys as it relates to fatherhood? Not mm -hmm. what their profession is. How do it right. relates to fatherhood? Because what I know about all of these shows, and I watch all of them, is that they literally, to a certain extent, live, live double lives. Mm -hmm. And in the profession space, they are who they are. Right. But they struggle with trying to figure out how to be that dad to their kids that they didn't have. Right. Right. right? And what does that look like? And so because of we're having these contrasting models of manhood and, 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 and fatherhood, particularly given reality mm -hmm. shows and crime shows and the explosion of, you know, mm -hmm. straight to television shows across the genre of apps, whether it's Hulu, Netflix, yeah. you know, MG, whatever those are and how mm -hmm. people consume media oh. today. Right. It's a yes. different way that we consume media today. So it's not mm -hmm. the three channels on Friday night and the two local channels that no. go off at 12 o'clock at night with the national anthem being played. Right. Force fed whatever the media gave you over the course of the year. Now you mm -hmm. get to look at the table and you get to eat what you like. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you're eating what you like, how do you extract good information? from whatever right. it is you like, whether you are this is us person or whether mm -hmm. or not you are a power person. Right. right. How do you extract that? And then I leave you with this other, um, and you would love this show. Have you started watching Yellowstone? Yes. Yes. We got to talk about this. <laughs> I'm only on the first season because, you know, <laughs> Uh, Yellowstone, yes. the fatherhood stuff in there has blown me all We got to talk about it. Okay, so okay, we I'll leave the, leave that Yellowstone. So so yes. one was how we how we extract um, information um, from those places, but here's the second one. The second one we talked about middle class before. We talked about how we absorb middle class images. One of the things I think about or have been thinking about. Because I'm also, and I just finished, binging Billions. I don't know if you watch Billions. Mm -hmm. Your billions will change yeah. your life. Oh, yeah. Billions change how I see the world, how I see money mm. and power, right? Mm -hmm. And how I mm -hmm. see how decisions are made and all those kinds of things. Because thinking in terms of billions is much different than thinking in terms oh, yeah. of millions. And in our case, hundreds of thousands, right? So we, we, when you think about billions, a <laughs> hundred thousand, we ain't even on right. a radar screen with them. Right. But I wonder for people like Kanye West, mm -hmm. Jay-Z, mm -hmm. Tyler Perry to a certain extent, 50, even though he's not there yet, but he's approaching. Shaq, even though he's not there, but he's approaching. Dre, who is there? Mm -hmm. Then the outliers, Rihanna and Oprah, right? But I'm thinking about these black men who are near 
are over billionaires. Mm -hmm. And as fathers, have they really given to consideration about how differently they have to raise their children to maintain and extend generational wealth? I'd like to see, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, you know, they were saying, you know, this is during Cosby era, and he made a comment one time that um, when people find out that you are an affluent family, um, black people do not connect with you, right? Because they feel that, you know, that there's this disconnect between you having the status of wealth and you the person. And so Cosby was talking about how his kids at one time didn't have a lot of friends because black friends mm. because they, they could not relate and then they felt that you know that some of the black friends felt that they were different whatever that meant mm. and so they didn't have real connections with kids in the black community um but there's there's something to be said about what does wealth do to parenting mm. and how do you keep that how do you keep some of the you know rules, regulations, narrative, family structure as this this thing comes in called money that you have that you can you you know that that you don't have issues of needs and wants and worries, mm. and that's very interesting. How does that transform family dynamics? Why? Right. Hmm. All right. Well, we got a whole nother show. We'll come back and do that. <laughs> well, yeah. You we know, we, we can do Yellowstone. Because yeah, that and Yellowstone, but media is all in that as well. It's how our young yeah. people see money, right, in the media, and not only how yeah. they see money in the media, but how they see the differences in how white people deal with money in the media and how black people deal with money. In yeah, the, right? and looking at billions and how that family is structured, yes. it's it's quite interesting. Yeah, right. yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Dr. Kelly, thank you so much. It's been a stone blast, as Don, Camille, Don Cornelius would say. Right? <laughs> so, there you go. So, love it. Thank you oh, so no, much. Oh, no, thank you. This was, this was entertaining, and, and I, I just got a lot out of it. Thank yeah, you. Well, I was you, taking notes on the side. I was taking a little notes, and I got to work on this. Get this information going. So, yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always learn so much from you. As Mr. T said, I got a lot of more for you, right? And so um, let's do this thing again. So thank you, everyone, for joining I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. My guest today, Dr. Janice Kelly. She is all things media, all things fatherhood, all things black people. So make sure you go to Lexington Books and get her book, Deconstructing um, Dads, which is, um, I, and I have a hard time reading, like, research books but i actually took the time to walk through that one only because it was the the, the topic matter is just so mm. deep in my heart as it relates to that so until next sunday thank you um have a great week god bless thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us you've been listening to i am dad podcast we hope that you have been informed encouraged you to think or even inspired your heart for the love of dads the conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. 
That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period.